You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Live from MMA Fighting Studios, this is Between the Links. And now, your host, Mike Heck. The iconic voice of Esther Lynn welcomes you to a brand new edition of Between the Links, and I am fired up. It's a special time on the program. One, we are back on video. I know a lot of people are excited about that, and now you can't complain anymore because we're on video right now. And two, this is the first opening round matchup in the inaugural BTL Championship Tournament. And since at this point, we have like five champions sprinkled all over the MMA space, we need to settle that. And it begins right now in a matter of moments. It'll culminate the week after UFC 269. And hopefully when the smoke clears and the dust settles, there will be no more debate. We will have an undisputed BTL champion. And could it be one of the two tremendous competitors joining us this week? I think this is a heck of a way to start things off, especially with so much to discuss in the world of mixed martial arts. So let's get right into it. Let us introduce the combatants first. Let us introduce the last man to actually pick up a victory on the show. We've just been kind of bantering about the last few weeks in lieu of this tournament. One of the best in the game. No one in the media space has been safe as of late. Mr. Damon Martin is here with a Halloween 5 t-shirt to boot. How are you? I am good. I wore Halloween 5 because I feel like it's going to be a slaughter of uh, Alexander K. Lee today. So I felt in honor of that, I would wear a Michael Myers t-shirt. And his opponent, he will take on one of the mad scientists around the best MMA rankings on planet Earth, the MMA fighting global rankings. He's also the co-host of On to the Next One. He's also the Prince of Positivity. And ladies and gentlemen, I just found this out maybe 10 minutes ago. We say it jokingly all the time, but today is actually his birthday. Mr. Alexander K. Lee, happy birthday, my best friend. How are you? Please don't, don't, please don't do that. Thank you, David Sandine. Uh, for anyone who's listening, the people, messages are popping up on the screen saying happy birthday, as, as they always do. But yes, it is. Believe it or not, there is actually a day where I was born. Uh, this is it, November 4th. So, I mean, keep the birthday messages coming throughout the year. Obviously, I know I can't stop you, but yes, uh, it is actually accurate today. And uh, Damon, why why Halloween 5? If you, <laughs> Is there something, is, is it a particularly slaughtery edition of the Halloween franchise? I'm not familiar. Why, why couldn't it have been uh, Halloween 1? 
I have t- I have T-shirts for every Halloween movie, with the exception of uh-huh. Halloween Resurrection, which is the worst Halloween movie. Why? Uh, yeah, this is. Uh, I wore Halloween four last weekend on Halloween, so I figured I'd go for the sequel now for Halloween five. And like I said, what better way to uh, you know to stage my destruction and and uh, and slaughter of a friend uh, on live. Uh, oh. Camera than to wear this today, so you know. Oh, I'm sorry I have to do this to you on your birthday. Oh. I'm sorry I have to do this to you on your birthday, okay? At least you're apologizing ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, I love it already. Let's let's get right into this thing. Let's begin with one of the feel good stories of the year. Not AK's birthday. That is a feel good story of the year. But at 42 years young, Glover Teixeira, gentlemen, can call himself a UFC world champion. It submits Jan Bohovic in the second round at UFC 267 this past Saturday. What a story, AK. I want to start with you. There's there's arguments to be made for a few fighters that we've seen, but where he's been, his age, the last chance, fighting Jan Bohovic, so forth and so on. Is Glover Teixeira the most unlikely champion in UFC history? I mean, for me, it still has to be Michael Bisping. I mean, I know uh, people will kind of look at it like Bisping was always a popular fighter. He was always a guy who had felt like the UFC was trying to angle into a title shot, and, and uh, that's certainly true. Um, he, uh, you know, he got a lot of uh, fight night main events. He got a lot of number one contender opportunities, but when he finally won it, I think by then it, it the feeling was so remote. It almost felt like the middleweight division had moved on with with other stars like like you know Chris Weidman had come along and Luke Rockhold and Jacques Are and uh Yoel Romero of course uh Gegard was there at the time uh Robert Whitaker was coming up this is even before Adesanya so but either way it felt like well the UFC doesn't need Bisping to Mattel anymore then he wins it on short note in a rematch against a guy who dominated and submitted him in the first meeting so that that to me is a most unlikely I I all the credit in the world of course to uh Glover Jera uh but he at least had the chance. He had challenged for a title before. Uh, his title shot did not come out of nowhere. You know, it was like uh, he, he would have gotten it instead of uh, Israel Adesanya. Uh, but he would have gotten it before him if Israel Adesanya hadn't become, you know, so popular. And, and the temptation of a champion versus champion fight uh, there for UFC is totally understandable to everyone why they went with that before Glover Teixeira. But it never felt like Teixeira was, after his, like, you know, third, fourth straight win, I never felt like he was out of the picture. It did feel like he was going to compete for it. And ahead of the fight, certainly in the weeks leading up to the fight, there was a lot of buzz that he would win. So this wasn't like a Bisping situation where it's just like, okay, well, he's getting called in on short notice to give Luke Rockhold a defense. Rockhold's going to take him out again. There was definitely definitely some thought that uh, Blahovich is a, vul- a vulnerable champion and that he, and that he would lose. Um, when you take into totality his age and his whole journey, it does seem unlikely. But now that we've kind of had... Now that it's actually happened, and we've kind of had a moment to appraise uh, to share his recent performances and, and how he earned this title shot, it, it makes it seem a little less likely. Anyway, this is degrees. I mean, this is degrees. I'm saying Bisping is still the most unlikely. Teixeira, when you look at it, still feels like, how the hell did this happen? But I'll go with Bisping, uh, if, not, if not just him. Um, there might be someone I'm forgetting, but definitely Bisping probably ahead of him and, and uh, Teixeira is up there, but just behind Dame what do you, Dame what do you think because I, I think it was January 2019 there were this is the beginning of the UFC on ESPN era Glover Teixeira almost got knocked out by Carl Roberson who was a middleweight at the time he came back and got the, the finish in the first round but he was in some big trouble and he was kind of flip-flopping wins and losses it didn't it just seemed like he was a guy that maybe was there to to put people over and here he is world champion like what do you think like is is this if I told you two years ago after the Carl Roberson fight that 
In November of 2021, we'd be talking about Glover Teixeira as light heavyweight champion of the world. Would you have believed me? Like, how unlikely is this scenario in your mind? Well, it's incredibly unlikely for a number of reasons, not the least of which is that, you know, when Glover, I would actually go back to the loss he had to Corey Anderson and say at that point, I thought that's probably that's probably it for Glover. You know, he's probably not going to be that guy again. You know, Corey beat him so one handedly and Corey at that time was still very much kind of like a middle of the road light heavyweight. He hadn't quite ascended to where he was an elite light heavyweight yet. And to beat Glover the way he did so dominantly, you're kind of like, okay, you know, it feels like passing in the torch a little bit, like Glover's time is done. And then he slowly but surely starts creeping up. You know, he has the win over Roberson. Then he, you know, he picks up the win over, you know, Nikita Krylov. I believe that was a split decision. You know, not the, not the incredible performances. Then he gets matched up with Anthony Smith. And I think a lot of people thought, well, here's Anthony Smith's going to go out there and just, you know, kind of wreck the, the old guy. And and then he, you know, he goes out there and puts on that performance against Anthony Smith and th- does the same thing against Tiago Santos. No one saw this coming. And if you did, you're probably lying because no one saw Glover Teixeira at 40 plus years old off of a two and three record over five fights, you know, losing to Gustafson, losing to Anthony Johnson, losing to, to Corey Anderson. Uh, and then somehow he goes on this five fight win streak. No one saw this coming. And uh, to AK's point, the only guy I would put, and I, I agree, I think Bisping is a great case for like the unlikeliest champion. The only other guy I would say is right there is, uh, is uh, the other oldest champion in UFC history. And that's Randy Couture. When he beat Tim Sylvia to become heavyweight champion after he had lost the light heavyweight title and lost two fights to Chuck Liddell. Again, same kind of thing. You're kind of like, there's no way this guy's going to climb back to the top of the mountain. And then he does. So uh, it's amazing, man. What Glover did this last couple of years is ridiculous. Uh, it's amazing to see him doing what he's doing. Uh, but no one saw this coming. No one no one could have predicted after losing to Gustafson and then losing to Corey Anderson one fight later would have said, oh, man, this is a future light heavyweight champion. Yeah, and Glover is just such a good dude. Like two months before, I was, I was ring announcing a, a local MMA event in New England, and Glover's cornering all his fighters. They're all winning. That was two months before he's about to fight for probably the last chance at a world title. He flies home from Abu Dhabi after winning the belt, gets the hero's welcome in Danbury, Connecticut. He's teaching classes the next day, and he's going to be in Alex Fajeda's corner on Saturday at UFC 268. What a guy he is. Of course... He seems to be on a collision course with Yuri Prohashka, the number one contender. That is a dangerous man. Prohashka will likely be a big betting favorite in that fight once it's announced. But uh, but Glover's a dog out there. Like Dame was talking to, talking about his fight IQ is so incredibly high. He's relaxed. He can still take big shots. He makes things dirty. He doesn't get rattled, and he's he's got that ground game, that pressure on top. He's a tough matchup for anybody, no matter how old he is, even the insanely violent Yuri Prohashka. So let me ask you, Damon. I, I Maybe it's a little early in the game to, to ask a question like this, but I think it's an important question. If I set the over-under at one title defense for Glover Teixeira, are you taking the over, the under, or a push? Uh, I'm probably going to take the under. Uh, and the reason for that is is that I am a big, big believer in Yuri Prohoshka. I think he's a monster. I think he is an incredibly dangerous fighter. And, yes, he does take a lot of risks. I mean, he got you know caught in the Vulcan Ozdemir fight. He got caught in the Dominic Reyes fight. And of course, Glover Teixeira is a guy, if you don't put him away, he will make you pay for that. But uh, there was a reason last Saturday I said, you know, I would have loved to have seen Glover win the title and then lay down the belt and just retire in the cage. Not because I don't think he can go with these guys. I I do. I I still think he's, again, there's not a, um, 
there, there's not a, a, a there's not a, a case where you can't say he's not the best light heavyweight in the sport right now for what he did. But that being said, so rarely do we see a guy at this age, at 42, go out on top. You know, we, you know, you remember Randy Couture. I keep going back to Randy, but you bring up Randy Couture. You know, him getting knocked out by Brock Lesnar, and then you know, kind of going on another run, having a few more fights, and leaving the promotion. Um, with with Glover, what better you know Cinderella story could there have been? to have him win the title and then just say, you know what? I've achieved my dream. I've achieved the greatest thing I could achieve and I'm going to walk away. Uh, Unfortunately, we don't really have a lot of happy endings in this sport. And uh, I have a feeling that when you face uh, the, the, the master of disaster himself, Yuri Prohoshka, you know, I have a hard time believing a lot of people beat him. And while I do think Glover is, you know, a guy you can never count out. I'm not counting him out by any stretch of imagination. I I'm just a big, big believer in Yuri Prohoshka. AK, what, what is your thoughts, over, under, or a push? And I thought Anthony Smith was very interesting on the MMA Hour because he was asked essentially the same question. He thinks Glover's going to win. He saw some holes in Yuri's game when Dominic Reyes was able to get him to the ground. He actually mounted him in that fight. And obviously, Prashko was able to get out of it and, and fight back and get the violent finish. But Glover gets you to the ground. It could be night-night. It could be the end of the night for you. So do you feel like we will actually see a title reign for Glover Teixeira or will this be win the belt, fight Yuri, and at least you were the champ for a day for for a little while, anyways? So, right, did you set the over under at half or one and a half? One, just one. One, oh, just one. Okay, okay. Uh, well, here's the thing: is I'm going over, but here's why, and it's it's not because I necessarily think that he'll beat Yuri Prohaska. I have a feeling somehow the Yuri Prohashka fight doesn't happen next. It's what should happen. It's obviously what Yuri Prohashka wants. I think it's also what, what Glover Teixeira wants to some degree. This is, uh, and this isn't being cynical or pessimistic, two traits that I despise. I just have a weird feeling, uh, depending how long Teixeira is going to want to wait and how long Prohashka is going to want to wait, it's going to be a long time uh, that Yuri hasn't fought. Uh, if Teixeira does sit out until May, which was sort of suggested, again, there is a possibility he comes back sooner. Either way, it might just make more sense for for, uh, for Yuri to fight again and for Teixeira to end up somehow taking on, like, uh, I don't know, Rakic or Ankalaev, maybe like Tiago Santos somehow sneaks in there. I think it'll be like kind of what I mentioned before with Bisping, when everyone's like, well, Bisping's going to get killed. He's going to have to face a Whitt- uh, yeah, Robert Whitaker, Yoel Romero, Musasi. Uh, and he ended up fighting Dan Henderson, uh, which again, I didn't think was totally unwarranted, but to this day, people go like, well, he did defend the title, but was it really against, you know, the number one contender at the time? I believe even in the UFC rankings, I think Henderson was ranked 14th, 13th or 14th. So <laughs> even by the UFC's own uh, numbering, uh, it wasn't number one contender thing. So I feel like, uh, Teixeira could have that same kind of luck. For lack of a better word, I do think um, the Prohashka fight, of course, will happen somewhere down the road. When it does, I will pick Yuri Prohashka to beat Glover Teixeira or or whoever happens to have the title at the time. I do think uh, very highly of him. But I feel like uh, Glover might be able to sneak in some some unsuspecting title defense in there. And uh, again, he's a great fighter. Not, Not sneak away with a win prove that he is a deserving champion and uh, and notch some uh, notch a, a victory that uh, most people seem to be again assuming just won't happen but yes uh so so yes the answer he'll have a reign but only because i don't think he's fighting yuri next wow I, I loved glover getting yuri all fired up yuri where are you hey we're gonna fight in may and yuri's face just <laughs> dropped like his 
like his dog got injured. It was it was pretty pretty hilarious. But it doesn't seem like Glover's going anywhere anytime soon. Retirement doesn't seem to be on his list right now. Much like Piotr Jan, who's at the top of the bantamweight championship discussion, the lone number one bantamweight in MMA fighting's global rankings. Go check that out if you haven't yet. Listen to the podcast. Beats Corey Sanhagen. It was a great fight. Wins four rounds to one, and Jan is just. So good, so talented, and a unification bout with Aljamain Sterling is more than likely next. Sterling said he's hoping no later than February. I think February is a great time for that fight to happen. With the with the talent at Bantamweight, I, I call it the Intercontinental Division all the time because it's great fighters, great matchups ahead, but there isn't like a, a star. There hasn't been that star in a while. You don't see Bantamweight's headline pay-per-views these days. It's been, what, over two years? The Henry Cejudo, Mara Moraes fight was the last Bantamweight fight to headline a pay-per-view, and that's mostly because Cejudo was red hot at the time and he was looking to be a two-division champion. But with this win, let me ask you this, AK. Can Jan be that guy for this division? Can he be the guy to go on a run, become a star, headline pay-per-views? Does he have the best chance right now at 135 of making that happen? It's him, and it also depends how long they can keep him away from uh, Marab Navalishvili. Marab is, you know, has that wrestling base and is kind of, uh, you know, just starting to peak. We're just starting to see the best of him. So it feels like he's the guy who, when he gets the title, um, just has the style that's that's very conducive to a champion holding on to a title for a long time think you know like gsp obviously having the option to be able to take anyone down and uh and win in that way uh but that said i i love i mean look when you saw how Piotr jan uh went five rounds Corey sandhagen and he's developed his own style which seems indomitable which is sometimes has a bit of a slow start but uh, a little bit like anderson silva back in the day he gets his lasers locked in on someone and you can see his opponent's options just ticking away like suddenly the person can't get a takedown suddenly the person can't circle the cage anymore suddenly their their jab is no longer as effective their jab is getting countered every time uh they're losing every exchange it's it's really amazing to watch that unfold i was watching the sandhagen fight again and sandhagen looked sensational in the first round uh maybe it was conditioning again he took the fight on short notice but i give all the credit to piotr jan because you could see him just having that preternatural sense of how to figure out his opponent and shut them down and pose as well in the fight. So that itself, you know, even without without necessarily having a wrestling based game, that itself is a way of being a champion for a long time. The only thing is, as we always say, uh, Mike, this is the deepest division in all of MMA, the 135 pounders. So at some point, he's going to have to face again another one of these killers, whether it be Marab or someone else, another one of these guys coming up. And, you know, people just keep calling your number. And eventually, eventually you're going to get got. But if anyone's a chance, it's him or Marab. Uh, but I do like Jan's chances a lot. I just, uh, gosh, would I bet on him having more than three or four tell defenses over the next couple of years? I don't think I could do it, Mike. I don't think I could do it. I don't know if there is a guy I feel com- super confident that's going to have a, uh, you know, seven, eight, nine tell defenses in a row. I, I just can't see it at 135. Damon, your thoughts? on just Jan's talents just being so good could could he be a long-reigning champion if so can the UFC build a star here like a like a a star that can headline pay-per-views and people are like oh my god Piotr Jan's headlining this pay-per-view let's buy it like could could we get to that point potentially I think there's two key factors that could really put Piotr Jan over uh, in terms of his star power I think one uh, is going out there and beating Aljamain Sterling convincingly you know Aljamain has become such a villain you know, since that fight ended, and through no fault of his own, by the way, Aljamain got knee in the head in the legal knee, and you know, listen, that's not his fault. It was Alge- it was definitely Peter Jan's fault 
that fight ended the way it did. But the aftermath of that, you know, he has really become a villain and, and vilified in the sport. And, you know, whatever fan base is out there, you know, there's a lot of people who seem to dislike Aljamain Sterling these days. So I think if Peter Yan could go out there and convincingly beat Aljamain Sterling, that's one feather in his cap that's going to help him get over with a larger audience. Because again, you want to have a foil. As a great champion, you need a foil. You need somebody who's going to push you and help push pay-per-views. And, and I'm not saying that Aljamain and Peter Yan are going to sell you know a million pay-per-views. They're not. But there's going to be a lot of interested people watching to see how that rematch goes. And especially to see you know if Peter can go out there and, and dominate the way he was in the first fight. Uh, until the the illegal knee. And I think part two of that equation is TJ Dillashaw because TJ Dillashaw was a guy who fought on pay-per-view. He had those fiery rivalries with Dominic Cruz and of course, Cody Garbrandt. And he was kind of on top of the world. And then, you know, he has the Henry Cejudo fight. And of course he pops for EPO. He's out for two years, but we can't forget there was a lot of attention being paid to TJ Dillashaw when he was champion. And I think if Peter Young could go out there and go back to back, beat Aljamain and beat TJ Dillashaw. And I'll say, I like him in both of those fights. I, I think, I think he beats Aljamain Sterling in the rematch. And I like him to beat TJ Dillashaw. Uh, based upon the TJ Dillashaw we saw against Corey Sandhagen, I like Peter Yan to win that fight as well. So uh, those are two key fights for him to kind of reach that next level of, of stardom. Um, and I think what we're going to start to see here, you know, this last weekend was technically a free show. It wasn't really free. Uh, it was on ESPN Plus. But uh, what we're going to start to see, or at least what I imagine we're going to see, is we're going to see Peter Yan featured as the co-main event to bigger cards, meaning February, you mentioned, Mike, was a great timeline. That sounds like it's going to be Adesanya Whitaker too. Obviously, Israel Adesanya is a big star. You put Adesanya versus Whitaker at the top. You put Peter Jan, Aljamain Sterling as the co-main. It gives them that shine, gives them that 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 plug of having a, a bigger fight on top of that. And then maybe the same thing happens with the Dillashaw fight where maybe they're the, the co-main event to, a, to Connor's return or or the co-main event to uh, Dustin Poirier or, or, you know, another big fight like that. I think that would be a thing. So I think Peter Young getting those two fights and those two wins will do a lot for his star power and will really raise his profile because I do think he has a chance to be a, a good long-reigning champion. Uh, but... As AK said, I will agree there. The Bandaway division is a shark pit, and, and there's no guarantee uh, you're going to beat anybody. But to his credit, Peter Yan has already beaten Jose Aldo, who's looked phenomenal his last couple of fights. He's already beaten Corey Sanhagen, who I consider the second-best Bandaway in the sport in terms of talent, uh, along with Aljamain Sterling. And again, if he can beat Aljamain, he's already eliminated three of the top guys in the top five already. So, you know, Peter's on a pretty good run already. He's got something there. There's no mistaking. And I, and I noticed this again on Saturday. When you look at Piotr Jan, you can tell that that dude beats people up. You can tell that he's a fighter. There's no doubt about it. If you saw him on the street, you're staying away from him because he, he'd beat you up. So we'll see what happens. I love this division. So many great fights. But now let's move on to one of the more contentious discussions coming out of UFC 267. The point for round one goes to... Happy birthday, AK. Happy birthday. You're on the board. It's one to nothing. Three point. See, and listen, wasn't that wasn't that a nice round, David? Non-confrontational. You know, we're just having a conversation. We're just getting because there's so many things I could say about you. And and isn't it great that I held back and that we're just getting along? <laughs> and you know, it's it could be that kind of show. It could be that kind of show. It's not gonna be that show for very long, AK. Let me promise you that. <laughs> 
<laughs> well, we're, let's. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time, the Roast of Tom Brady, a Netflix live event happening May 5th Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Let's see what happens here because there are a lot of big stories from UFC 267, one of which has to do with the lightweight division. Islam Makachev runs through a very tough Dan Hooker. He put him away quick, and he barely broke a sweat doing it, which is no knock on Dan Hooker. This is all to do with how good Islam Makachev is. So, Damon, let me ask you. We've seen this run, his resume, his performances, and we all ask, like, how good could this guy be? Can you make the argument right now that Islam Makachev is the best lightweight in the world? Uh, Unless he changed his name to Dustin Poirier, then no. Uh, he's not the best lightweight in the world right now. Is he amazing? Is he an incredibly tough matchup for everybody in the division? Could he be a future champion? Absolutely. But I'm a big believer in resume. And, you know, on it just in, you know, when you look at Islam's record, nine wins in a row, all impressive. Dan Hooker was his first ranked opponent. Uh, you know, I don't know where in the UFC rankings where Tiago Moises was out when they fought, but I don't, I, if he was ranked, it was really low. Dan Hooker's the one really, truly legitimate win in this run over a guy with an established resume in this division. Uh, that's not to knock on Islam Makachev. He's amazing, and I, <laughs> I'd probably pick him against a lot of the guys at the top of the division. But I got you. Got to have that resume. You got to have those fights. And Dustin Poirier has those fights. You know, Dustin Poirier has the statement wins. Dustin Poirier has, you know, had the one loss recently to Khabib Nurmagomedov, the greatest lightweight of all time. No shame in that. Khabib also has wins over, you know, a lot of other guys who are still in the UFC. So uh, Islam is amazing. Uh, I think he has real championship potential. Uh, I would pick him to beat uh, Charles Oliveira right now. He's the champion. I would pick him to win that fight. Uh, I would pick him to win a lot of fights. Uh, But until he until he goes out there and beats some of these guys, until he beats Benil Dariush, until he beats Justin Gaethje, until he beats uh, Charles Oliveira, he's got to win those fights. And you can't call him the best lightweight until he does that. And like I said, Dustin Poirier has the resume. Dustin Poirier, without the title, is the best lightweight in the sport right now. And when you look at his resume, you look at what he's done, you look at who he's beaten, I just have a hard time picking anybody over him. You can argue that Islam might beat him in a fight. That's fine. Argue that all day. But you can't say he's the best in the world when he doesn't have the resume of Dustin Poirier. AK, what do you think? Because we say this all the time. Every time Islam Makachev fights in the aftermath, we always say, and I think all of us have said it at some point, this guy might be the best lightweight in the world right now. We're not. No one's really pulled the trigger in saying that. But we all say he might be the best lightweight in the world right now. And Damon's right. You got to rack up these wins. You got to get some 
build that resume a little bit more. And it's through no fault of his own because who wants to fight this guy right now? The risk reward, kind of like Marab for a while. Marab just had to get himself to a point where it's just like, you got no choice. You have to fight this guy. And I think Islam is just about there. But can you make the argument? I'm not saying that you're saying right now he's the best lightweight in the world, but can you make the argument that he is after this win? You definitely could. You definitely could. I was one of the uh, probably one of the later people to get on the Habib as the best bandwagon. It, it was I probably just before the Iaquinta fight, I would have finally been like, yeah, okay, I hear what people are saying. Uh, Habib, this Habib guy is serious and probably the best lightweight in the world. You know, he just needs to he just needs to win the title and that. Uh, but really, before he was, you know, anointed by the UFC with their big shiny belts. Nurmagomedov probably was already the best. Now, Islam, I don't know. I don't know if you want to, if uh, everyone's quite as eager to do uh, to do so, to make that proclamation. But it's just so hard to deny the similarities between them. Of course, they're close friends, training partners. The way they dominate their fights is is just incredible. Um, and and I'll get the reason I'm giving uh, Makachev so much to ban for the doubt here, not just because I don't want to be late again on uh, you know and on naming him as the best. It's not his fault that this fight with like, you know, RDA keeps falling through. Like that would have been a huge win. That's a, you know, former lightweight champion. That would have bumped him up so much earlier. It's not his fault that the top of the lightweight division is kind of was kind of muddied up by Poirier doing the right thing, by the way, doing the right thing, taking two Conor McGregor fights. Good for Dustin Poirier. I, I will never criticize uh, that decision. I think it made him a lot more money than fighting anybody else. Poirier, you do you, you live your life. However, however. The downside to making those decisions is you have to know that you are facing, again, a guy in McGregor who is, in the eyes of many, is not considered an elite uh, lightweight anymore, uh, or at least doesn't, again, has not had the results lately to deserve that uh, to deserve that title. So when you do that, then you leave the door open like, well, you know, these guys coming up behind Poirier who are fighting, who are trying to move up the division and trying to fight tougher competition, are they better than him? And you're, you're leaving open that doubt. When, again, he could have sealed that by taking out Charles Oliver or taking out, you know, whoever, who else, uh, whoever else he could have had to besides taking a second McGregor fight. Right. So, oh, sorry, third McGregor fight, I should say. So in that sense, the door is open. It's also not Makachev's fault that he shares management with several other top lightweights, uh, which I think has also kind of slowed his ability to go up the ladder. Like uh, Benil Dariush, they probably would have fought already. Uh, uh, Justin Gaethje, again, he's got the Chandler fight now. Uh, will he, will he, if, if Gaethje loses, will he be thrown to match up with Makachev? Maybe not even. They have the same management. And, and I get it. When you get to this level, it's not as much of an issue. We've seen dominance MMA fighters matched up before, but it does make things a little more difficult. So there are, there are kind of all these factors working against Makachev. But the one factor that should really matter to us and those of us watching the fights is, man, when you see this guy, he's so dominant. He reminds you so much of Habib. And outside of one blip, I think it was against like Argiano Martins however many years ago, he really hasn't come close to being finished so uh, i understand the hesitance to anoint him number one and i'm a huge charles Oliveira fan but i think makachev has done enough that if if there's if there are makachev stands out there that's saying this guy's the best in the world i'll tell you i am not going to make a strong argument against it okay so <laughs> casey likes that answer so we talked about this, AK. There, there are people who think Makachev should just go fight for the title right now. Like, go fight for the belt. Whoever wins Oliveira versus Poirier, Makachev is next in line. There's people who want to see him fight Darius, fight either Chandler or Gaethje based on the result of that fight, get one more win, a win in the top five. And while the man is impressive, like Damon said, he has not had a top five win. He hasn't had the quote-unquote undeniable signature win. Dan Hooker is, is a nice name to have on the resume, but I wouldn't... 
as, as tough and as good and as fun as Dan Hooker is, I don't consider beating Dan Hooker a signature win, especially in this division. Some fighters don't need that. Others do, and there's no denying the potential that this guy has. So, AK, like we talked about, on to the next one. More so, it was more of like what you would like to see happen. What do we do with Makachev now that we've had a couple days to breathe? Do we just throw him in a title fight, or does he have to get this one more win before you can make that decision? He does not. He does not need the one more win. Uh, if he gets it, it's nice. It's more likely. I think most likely he is going to have to fight again before getting the title shot. But I have been saying, I think ever since two sixty seven ended, or after the fight with Hooker ended, if Chandler beats Gaethje and if Oliveira beats uh, Poirier, they're not going to do a Chandler Oliveira rematch right away. They could because the first fight was so exciting. I just don't think they'll do that right away. For me, that opens the door right for Makachev to slide in and fight Oliveira. Uh, I think the UFC likes Makachev. I think they think that he would beat Oliveira. Um, and I think that they're they're eager to, again, maybe get – like I keep comparing to Khabib, so I apologize for that. But it, it, it's just so so unavoidable. Um, and I don't know if he'd be quite as popular as him. But I think if he can be a, have a fraction of the popularity that Khabib had uh, right near the end when he went out on top, the UFC would be very, very, very happy. So I think Makachev wants to happen. They want it to happen. More likely – I think Chandler is going to lose to Gaethje, so there's a little pick in advance for you, and that uh, Makachev will end up fighting Chandler. But again, should Chandler win? Should Oliveira win? Guys, you you will see Makachev fighting for that lightweight title um, before like uh, the middle part of, of 2022. Damien, I see where AK is coming from, and a lot of times when we have these conversations, you got to pass the Dana White test. And the Dana White test, it's, it's hard to, to pass sometimes. When Dana's asked about you at the press conference, if he doesn't flat out say, yep, this guy's next. He's absolutely fighting for the title next. Chances are pretty slim that you're going to fight for the title next. Dana was not sold completely on this. He did not dive right in. He was like, yeah, we'll see what happens. Matchmaking meeting on Tuesday, which means that they haven't made their decision yet. And if you go out there and get a huge win, that decision can be made for you. So what are your thoughts? What happens with Makachev? Do you think they throw him into a title fight? Is there a chance that happens? Or does he have to beat Dariush or somebody with a big name and just get that signature win before you can throw him in there? I mean, there's a chance it happens. I mean, there's a chance it happens just like there's a chance, you know, AK Lee would beat me on between the links, but the likelihood is just not there. Uh, the reality is, you know, there's there's basically a one-case scenario where Makachev could get a title shot next, and that's if Charles Oliveira beats Dustin Poirier and, uh, and Michael Chandler beats Justin Gaethje this weekend. In that case, you've eliminated the probably the two biggest roadblocks to Makachev getting in to a title shot right away. In that case, Makachev against Oliveira could happen, but that's a lot of ifs. Uh, right now, most people are picking Justin Gaethje to beat Michael Chandler. I'm picking Justin Gaethje to beat Michael Chandler. I love to fight, and I wouldn't be shocked whatsoever if Michael Chandler wins, but again, I got to be honest, on paper, I like Justin Gaethje to win that fight. Dustin Poirier fights Charles Oliveira. I love what Charles Oliveira has done lately. He has looked incredible, and this run he's been on has been so unbelievable. But I think Dustin Poirier beats him. In that case, they're going to do Poirier Gaethje too. The first fight was amazing. They're going to do the rematch. And, and and rightfully so, because Gaethje, you know, I'm not going to say he gets screwed out of a title shot, but, you know, I hate that argument just because he lost to Khabib. He shouldn't have been in consideration. To me, that's ridiculous. Everybody lost to Khabib. I mean, if they would have done Gaethje Poirier 2 to crown a new champion, 
I think that probably would have made the most sense. It's just they a didn't want to go to you know, two guys who just lost to Khabib, and also Dustin wanted the Connor fights, and rightfully so. He should. He should go out and get paid all that money. And if Connor comes back, Kobe gets a third Connor McGregor payday, or a fourth, I should say, a fourth Connor McGregor payday. Uh, because go out and get your money. There's not enough money being made in the sport for anyone to turn down a multi-million dollar payday like that. Uh, but outside of that, he's just got too many roadblocks in front of him. And as I said before, Dan Hooker's a good win. I agree. Dan Hooker's a great win. I, I, I love Dan Hooker. Okay. Dan's a great guy, but Dan is not a top five guy. He's never been a top five guy. Islam needs that statement win over a top five guy. I think beating a former champion like Dos Anjos would have been a great feather in his cap. It's just, unfortunately he couldn't, he couldn't stay healthy. He couldn't get to the fight. That's not Islam's fault, but Islam does need that win. And he needs that marquee win to put him over the top. Oliveira got it when he beat Tony Ferguson in a very one-sided fight. Everyone thought Tony's going to come back from the Gaethje fight and he'll be able to get back on top. Oliveira went out there and dismantled him. And then Oliveira was immediately, everyone said, wow, Charles Oliveira's for real. He's a title contender. He needs that marquee fight. He needs to beat Benil Dariush. He needs to beat Michael Chandler. He needs to beat Justin Gaethje. He needs that win on his resume so everyone is pounding the drum like we were for Khabib, saying this is the this is the best guy in the world. He just doesn't have the title. He needs that win. And listen, otherwise, unless all these chips fall into place, which again it could happen, it, you know, we could be staring at Charles Oliveira winning, Michael Chandler winning, and then you know Islam kind of slides in there. But the more likely scenario is one of those things doesn't happen. Either Poirier wins or or whatever. And then at that point, you're talking about a lot of what ifs and, and ands and buts. And I think just giving him the fight with Benil Dariush, because let's not forget what Benil's doing right now. Benil's on a seven-fight win streak, finishing everybody, dominating Tony Ferguson. I mean, I, I hate that Benil is somehow out of this conversation like he hasn't been on a great winning streak. We've just forgotten about him. Let Benil fight Islam. The winner of that fight is the clear-cut number one contender. Of course, we have a, a lot going on at 155, as you both alluded to. So hopefully there'll be a little more clarity in this conversation in a little over a month's time. But uh, let's talk this Saturday. That's why a lot of people are here. Let's talk first about the big one for the welterweight championship of the world. Point for round two goes to... From Haddonfield, Illinois, Damon Martin. It is one-to-one. -one. Good stuff. Uh, I don't know if you guys are looking at the comments. Uh, they are calling Damon Bane because his fit, his mouth is completely <laughs> obscured by his his <laughs> lovely microphone. I love it. So there's a lot of L <laughs> L F LFG Bane in the comments. It's kind of throwing me off. I'm like not going to lie. It's a little, inti I like a little it. intimidating. I like it. It's a little intimidating. <laughs> Bane the boom and arm. I got the boom arm up here. So yeah, it's you are you are dictating right now. <laughs> oh my well, God. that was Abu Dhabi. We are back in New York, UFC 268, back at MSG main event, the rematch from an all-time classic between Kamar Usman and Colby Covington for the strap. First fight was just so so good. Usman gets gets the late finish. Covington has pled his case ever since that it was an early stoppage. That Mark Goddard is terrible. There were. Early, early stoppages of the action in the fight and love him or hate him Colby Covington is a terrific fighter and Usman is in my opinion and in the opinion of many other people the best active fighter on planet earth right now regardless of weight class and he's quickly moving towards the GSP level at 170 pounds so AK the birthday boy let me start with you here 
Dana White was really excited to rebook this one. No matter what happened at 170, this was always the fight. And even though Colby has only fought once since their first meeting and he beat a guy who's no longer in the UFC, a guy, let's be honest, was way past his best days. Dana White has been selling us this fight for a long time. Dana's excited. Are you excited? Yeah, definitely. Look, look, I, I can't stand Colby Covington personally. I mean, that's no secret. I'm, I'm not a fan of his shtick. I'm not a fan of what may or may not be his real personality and politics and all that. So, you know, but putting that aside, I love that first fight. I, I loved it. I mean, I, I think uh, in retrospect, I know in the moment, for one thing, it was super exciting. It was a super exciting back and forth fight. Again, regardless of how you how you feel about other, either guy uh, and their personas, it, it was really, really great. I, I think I know I saw in retrospect some people going like, ah, you know, it was kind of a sloppy brawl. Like it wasn't, you know what I mean? It was it, it wasn't like this great technical battle. And I, and I'll agree, it broke down at points. But that's what makes MMA so fun. You have two guys who are so well trained, and at the end of the day, it comes down to cardio and guts. And just, I mean, some degree of luck uh, for both guys. Uh, there were some fouls in there. It was it was a funky fight, but it was like a real fight. The animosity was real. It the the pre fight animosity carried over into the action, which doesn't always happen. You, we see guys, a lot of people talk trash and genuinely hate each other, and the fight, you know, it just doesn't it doesn't kind of go that way. So this was, I mean, this is everything you could have asked for. Um, uh, I want to take a second to shoot down all this. I, I, I would hope it's dead by now. The, the Colby Cummington could have won the fight on the scorecards if the fight hadn't been stopped, myth, which is absurd. He was up on one of the cards. Another judge had it a draw. And another judge had Usman up. So even if the fight had not been stopped, Usman would have won a 10-9 or a 10-8 uh, fifth round and would have won a, a split decision or a majority decision. So all that talk is is crazy. Um, but yes, I'm, I'm, I'm really excited. If, if it wasn't for uh, Covington's injury, again, I would have had no issue if they had ran it back immediately. Um, better options came along for Usman, of course. He ended up getting the back-to-back fights with, uh, with uh, Jorge Masvidal and then a, a very nice tele-defense against uh, Gilbert Burns, who I think is actually the second-best 170-pound uh, fighter in the world. So for him to get that fight was great. But if this had been run back long ago, I'd have no problem with it. Covington also got to get a good win, finally uh, fight Teron Woodley. So things worked out for the best. So in a way, I was excited for it then, Mike. And because of these guys have had the chance to win fights in between uh, and it wasn't necessarily just thrown into an immediate rematch, I'm even more excited. Um, I, I, I like, uh, you know, it's, there's just sometimes a, that classic appeal to a quote-unquote good versus evil matchup. You know, fans can decide which side <laughs> is which, but I think you'll know who, uh, who I'm, who I designate as good and who I designate as evil and uh, why I think it's such a, just such a compelling rivalry. What about you, Damon? When we confirmed this fight a couple months back, is this one you've had circle on your calendar ever since? Uh, I know AK thinks darkness is his ally, but that's just not the reality here because uh, in my best bane to say that, uh, listen, I, I like the fight. I'm excited for the fight. The first fight was great. Um, but I have an issue with Colby getting a rematch off one win while the champion has gotten three more. What backwards world are we living in where the champion is out fighting his contenders? Isn't that kind of the point of being a contender? You have to earn your way back there. Kobe beat Tyron Woodley, who I don't think anyone is going to say Tyron Woodley is the same Tyron Woodley as he was three or four or five years ago. And and then he sits and just gets his idol shot. And 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 and, and Kamaru's out there beating you know Masvidal twice and, and beating Gilbert Burns. That just seems wild to me. Now, that doesn't mean I don't like the fight. I, I'm looking forward to the fight. I think it's going to be fun. 
you know, I think Kamar Usman is the best welterweight in the sport. And I think talent wise, he might be the best welterweight ever alongside George St. Pierre. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'll watch it. I'm excited for it, but it just didn't make a lot of sense based on what the other guy had done to earn it. And and I know, and I've said this a million times and I know Mike, you know, one of my favorite sayings <laughs> in this sport, which is, you know, if you want to be a, a, a legitimate mixed martial arts fan and not lose your mind at every turn, you have to strike the word deserves from your vocabulary because nobody really deserves anything. Now, in reality, no one really was banging on the door of a title shot. You could argue Leon Edwards because of his win streak. He technically was the number one guy. And I wouldn't have had a problem if he got a title shot considering, uh, you know, the win streak he's on. But no one was going to bang the drum and, and, and buy a million pay-per-views to watch Leon Edwards fight Kamar Usman. But Again, wins and losses matter. And Colby's had one, one win over a guy who's not in the UFC anymore and a guy who we all kind of agree is not the same Tyron Woodley he once was. So it's just weird to me that he's getting this rematch based almost purely upon Dana White loving the first fights uh, because you can't you can't tell me that winning over Tyron Woodley earns you a title shot. You just can't while Kamar Usman's fought three more times. Usman has been sensational this year, and if he beats Colby Covington, he probably will lock down the fighter of the year. He's been active. He's been finishing guys. Covington has been a bit of a mystery. We have no idea what he's been doing. He said he's been training in silence, getting better. He seems ready to go, and while there are still some big fights out there for him because he's laid the groundwork for them, this might be Colby's last chance for quite a while to become a world champion. So, we talked about the first fight, Damon. We talked about how high, highly you regard Kamar Usman and what he's done lately. Do you see this in your mind being a similar type of fight, another back-and-forth war that heads into the fifth round really close, or do you think this one goes down much differently? No, I mean, listen, on paper, uh, I think Kamar Usman wins this. I had this conversation on my podcast uh, the fighter versus the rider with Bilal Muhammad a couple of days ago. And we both kind of agreed that I think Kamaru has just gotten so much better since that Colby Covington fight, his hands, his, his striking is not only good. Now it's great. He's got knockout power and legit boxing working with Trevor Whitman has done wonders for Usman's game in terms of what he does on the feet. I mean, he's always been a decent striker, and, and he had a good chin. We saw that in the first Colby Covington fight. But now he's knocking people out and he's showing real legit hand skills, little, real legit boxing skills. Uh, I don't know how Colby's going to approach this fight, if Colby's going to try to out-wrestle him, if he's going to try to clinch and work Usman against the cage like he's done some other guys and stay on the outside and then work to the inside to, to put him there. But again, even in that aspect, unless Usman has just completely abandoned his wrestling in terms of his, his preparation, he's not going to out-wrestle Kamar Usman. Kamar Usman's never been taken down. Uh, you know, and maybe Colby's the guy, the first guy to do it, but I'd be shocked if he was, uh, in the clinch, Kamar Usman has been very strong in the clinch. He's a very physically imposing welterweight. Uh, you know, I just, I just don't see a, a real great path to victory for Colby Covington. When you think about all the things that Colby does well, I think Usman does them as good, if not better. He's a better striker, more power, better wrestling, uh, stronger, uh, again, weird things happen, and I've said this numerous times leading into this fight. The worst enemy that Kamaru Usman has right now is his own complacency. If he just can't get up, 
for a rematch with Colby Covington because he did beat him so decisively the first time with a fifth round knockout and broke the guy's jaw. If that has just left him vacant in terms of his anticipation and his preparation for this fight, then maybe Colby's got a chance. But otherwise, if Usman doesn't beat himself, I have a hard time seeing where Colby beats him. What's your read, AK? Because that's a very interesting point because Kamaro is kind of, in a way, battling with himself. Like, how could I do it better than I did the first time? How can I match what that first fight was? And he was very open at his media day. When he was asked about Hamzat Shemaev, he basically said, I don't know how much longer I'm going to do this for. I'm going to do this fight, and, you know, if the right opportunity comes, the right money comes, I'll keep on going. He's talking about fighting Canelo now, like wanting to fight him, like all these things coming out of his mouth. And Colby did an interview with ESPN. He basically said, like, my biggest worry is me, like himself. It's like an inner, it's like an inner battle within himself, like trying to figure out, like, who the real Colby Covington is and who is the guy behind the persona and all this stuff. And it's, it's got to be tiring, man, to try to, like, figure out which one's real and which one's not and trying to decipher between the two. So... What's your read, AK? Do you think it's a similar sort of this is one we're going to be talking about for years to come being an all-time classic like the first one or is this one going to be a, a different cup of tea altogether? I don't know about that. I think it's rare that you get back-to-back classics uh, in a series. I'm sure people flood the comments with uh, with all the uh, fights I'm forgetting. But in general, I think we've seen a lot of rematches uh, kind of uh, when they happen – uh, this isn't an immediate one, but definitely a lot of rematches tend to go the way of the champion, uh, often in definitive fashion, or, or at least the person who, uh, you know, people thought won the first fight. I'm, I'm thinking of like Machida and uh, and Shogun. You know, everyone thought Shogun won the first fight when they rematched. Shogun just completely smoked him. And there's other instances where you know someone actually did win the first fight and they they rematched and take the person out again, uh, even faster than they did before. So. Uh, I, I, I can't like, I don't see it going the same way as the first one. I don't think it's going to be a five round classic. I actually have in my mind, Usman finishing probably in the second or third round this time, but I like the fact that Usman is talking about uh, other things. He seems, you know, he's creating that doubt. If you're like an Usman hater, or if you want to pick against him, is he distracted? Is he no longer invested in in uh, in running through these, you know, probably all these rematches he's going to do again, Covington and uh, whoever else he has to fight again, right? Uh, he's mentioning Canelo. He wants to go into boxing. Oh, no, we saw McGregor do this. You know, we saw uh, Ronda Rousey go into Hollywood before her big collapse. Is this is this Usman's moment where he uh, – even, even Steven Miocic was talking about boxing a lot um, before his, uh, he got taken up by Ngannou. So anytime the conversation uh, – a champion uh, like moves the conversation away from MMA – there's that doubt. But what makes this even more exciting, I think, is the fact that it is Covington. This is a guy who he genuinely hates. I don't know if he feel he's ever just going to come out and say, I effing hate this dude. That just doesn't seem like an Usman thing to say. I think it's pretty clear that the dislike is very real. I think he enjoyed breaking his jaw. I think he's going to enjoy doing it again. And so that aspect of uh, – it sounds sadistic, I admit. That aspect of it excites me. That, that much like the first Masvidal and the second Masvidal fight, Usman's like, I don't want to hear this crap about I'm pillow fisted and I couldn't finish a guy on who was coming in on short notice. OK, we'll see. This is why we get to do the rematch. So for Usman now to be like, all right, people have been pushing this weird thing about the scorecards. Oh, was it a, was it a weird stoppage? Uh, they, they should have let the fight go. There was so little time left, you know, even though his jaw was injured. Well, now, I'll, you know, now I'll break his jaw in uh, the second round and there won't be any question. So, uh, yeah, I think we're all kind of heavily going – uh, for to, for Usman here, but for me, uh, that 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 makes it more compelling that he does have something to prove 
um, that there was that little bit of doubt from their first fight. So um, yeah, I'm definitely I'm definitely all in on it, um, and I see it going differently, but still very very well for the champion. All right, last thing on this. Of course, we got the press conference coming up a little bit later on, 5 Eastern, which you can go to MMAfighting.com to watch. So things might pop off a little bit there. But this one, AK, the build to it, at least to this point, and yes, Colby has said some things that weren't very kind and were kind of classless in a way. And it's been kind of – but between these two guys, it's been kind of tame. Like it hasn't been as ugly, not as cringy as we probably thought it would be because as cringy as Covington can be – We've seen, too, Usman can be kind of cringy in his own right. So I don't know, AK, is this build not as ugly as you thought it was going to be? Like, what have you made of the build to this fight between these two guys? Is this surprising? No, I just think they went through so much. They, I mean, specifically, uh, Colby has gone through so much of his material uh, in in the lead up to this fight. And let's be honest, without uh, one Mr. Donald Trump in, in office, some of his persona has lost a bit of its juice. I don't think he was even wearing uh, seen wearing a red cap this week. Uh, I guess that's not in vogue now for uh, for uh, Colby, the Trump supporter. I guess maybe they don't do that anymore. I wouldn't know. I, I you know maybe no, none of, nobody wears hats anymore. I'm not sure. But either way, he sort of tamped that down, and that was such a big part of the lead up to the fight. Oh, you know, Donald Trump's going to be there. Donald Trump Jr. is going to be there. There isn't that energy here. Um, and, and so that aspect of it just doesn't work. And he kind of has to go to, you know, um, whatever, whatever conventional old lines he's been using, throwing those out there. For Usman, like I said, he hates the guy, but he's already beaten him once. So there's just not that, that inclination to need to talk trash. He, he, he said before their first fight, listen, we can go back and forth all we want. People can call me cringy all you want. I'm going gonna, gonna to show you what, what the real deal is in the cage. And he already did. So what more is there to say for him other than, again, headline another card, get another big paycheck, and possibly get another win uh, over his biggest rival. So it doesn't surprise me at all that we're not uh, not seeing like a revival of their past uh, you know, animosity or, or that there's new material because there isn't new material. Damon kind of touched upon it. This fight is being made. Other people got knocked out of the way. Dana White liked the first fight. He likes Colby Covington. He thinks it'll sell pay-per-views. So other than that, it kind of sells itself, and the two guys don't really need to do much. Damon, what's your prediction for this press conference? Are things going to get a little out of whack, kind of what we anticipated when this fight was booked? Or do you think it's going to be kind of similar to what we've seen so far? First off, let me apologize that I'm currently bathed in shadows because I live in Ohio where the weather changes every six <laughs> minutes. So it was sunny. It was sunny when this show started. Now suddenly it's like dark in here. Uh, so welcome to Ohio, folks. Sorry about that. In the fall, it's like what in the morning it was blasting sunny and now it's like dark and like overcast. So I apologize for that. Uh, listen, I mean, it's going to get ugly because Colby can't not make it ugly i mean colby's gonna say something you know crazy and wild and you know try to get headlines and borderline offensive probably i mean that's just colby that's what he does and and then kamaro's gonna be very even tempered and not play into it i mean i think that's where kamaro really had a huge advantage in the in the first fight and even with the masvidal fight he just never gets into the trash talk you know even like leading into this when you hear usman's interviews he says i actually have a lot of respect for colby he's a great welterweight probably the second best welterweight in the sport those are the kind of things you're saying because you don't really care what this guy's gonna say and you know if if kamara was gonna be emotionally charged it would have been the first fight it's not gonna be the rematch because he already knocked him he knocked him out and broke his jaw 
you know what what is colby gonna say what has colby done since then that's gonna trump him no pun intended uh in terms of in, in terms of the fight i mean he hasn't there's nothing we've seen from colby since that first fight to convince you that he's gonna be so much better in the rematch so Colby will say crazy stuff. He'll try to get under Kamaru's skin. He'll probably say some offensive things. He'll probably talk about Chemayev and he'll talk about Gilbert Burns and he'll talk about Street Judas and he'll do all the greatest hits of Colby. And everyone will kind of, you know, raise their eyebrows and shake their heads. And, and Kamaru will probably smile and laugh it off. Uh, and, and that's what it's going to be. Colby's a talker. And listen, does Colby say some funny things from time to time? I'm not gonna lie and say he never does. It's just I, I feel like he, he I feel like he's run out of material and and as AK said, he doesn't have the uh the Trump factor kind of backing him right now. And what's he gonna say about the fight? I mean, I just even his even his even his excuses about well they stopped it early. When when should they have stopped it? When he snapped the other side of your jaw? Like when when should they have stopped the fight? Like, come on now. Uh, you know, and complain about Mark Goddard, who is uh, you know, one of the best referees in the game. I mean, listen, if you wanna if you wanna say he was being refereed by whatever that guy's name was last weekend, maybe then you could say, although in that case he probably would have let Colby's jaw get shattered in like eight places before the fight would have been stopped. But you know, I think this is going to be Colby trying to get attention, trying to get the spotlight. He's going to make some wild headlines because he always does. But at the end of the day, I don't think it's going to rattle Usman. And I think this, the result's going to be the same on Saturday night and still Kamaru Usman champion. Interesting matchup. Usman's been so, so good. Colby's a gamer. Bit of a mystery, like I said. I'm intrigued, to say the least. But uh, let's dive into some of the other storylines from this Saturday. The point for round three goes to... I don't know if it's the haircut or the birthday, the wisdom. I don't know, but you sound like you could you could narrate feature films, AK, the way you're sounding today. Oh. You're, you're confident. Oh, you're okay. feeling. So you get the point. It's two to one. Oh, stop it, my best friend. Oh, I shouldn't call you that. And we're doing the. Oh, no, this is exposed uh, to the integrity of the game. Sorry, I apologize. I mean, uh, impartial. Real kayfabe. Yes, yeah, so there's no way of getting this point, but uh, <sighs> unless something happens, unless unless it really goes truly dark in Damon's Damon's little studio. I don't, I don't know, AK. But- you ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. Fall Guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. But let's let's talk real quick about about a couple of the storylines before that fight happens. We've got Nami Yunus versus Whaley two for the strawweight title. And again, outside of Dana White, this didn't seem like a fight anybody had been clamoring for the way the first one ended. Carlos Spars's last performance, all of that into play. But here we are. Damon, we're just two nights away. Rose is always fascinating. She's so fun to watch in there. Zhang Weili storyline moving camp to Arizona, working with Captain Eric Albaracin, Henry Cejudo, and others. So a nice little interesting wrinkle. 
Has this one gotten more interesting? Has this one grown on you since it was booked? Uh, no, not really. I mean, I like that Zhang Wei Li kind of changed up her training and, and started working with Triple C and his coaches. I like that uh, for the first time in her career, she's sparring with women, which she had never done before, which is really interesting to me. I mean, of course, there's a benefit in training with men, but I think, you know, the speed and, and, and the dexterity things you, you're not going to see uh, from, let's say, 135, 145 pound, you know, male fighter. I think you need that, especially when you're fighting someone as talented as Rose. You need those kind of sparring partners. So I think all those things are good. Um, but I'm just not sure. We, I mean, I don't know what's changed between the last fight and this one to make me believe that, you know, Rose isn't going to win. I mean, uh, you know, I, again, this kind of goes back to the Colby Covington thing. If Zhang Wei Li had gone out there and beaten Joanna in a rematch or beaten a Carla Esparza or beaten. Uh, you know, whoever, anybody in that, you know, uh, uh, Marina Rodriguez, any of those fighters, you could say, oh, wow, you know, she's back. She's proven she's back and she's earned this title shot. But, you know, she lost whatever it was like six, seven months ago. She got knocked out in 80 seconds. And I think this is going to be a better fight. I think she'll stick around longer. I think she's going to learn from her mistakes and come back better. But I just think ultimately Rose is the better fighter. And, you know, I think sometimes you need that break. You need that mental break to 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 come back from a loss like that. You know, it's not like the Ioana and Zhang and, and Wei Li fight, which is a five-round battle of war. And I think that took something away from her. I think everybody loses a, a piece of their soul when you go through a fight like that. Ioana coming out, if I can just say, I feel like I got robbed. I should have won that fight. And Zhang Wei Li can say, well, I did win the fight, but it was a great fight. What can she say about the Rose fight? She got caught with a head kick that was planned. It wasn't like a, a, a crazy moment where she just got caught. Rose saw tendencies in her game to set up the head kick, and she head kicked her. Uh, I think Zhang would have benefited from getting another win to kind of get her confidence back, to kind of build herself back into it. The change in training camps, the fact that she did get beat so dominantly the last time. I just have a hard time seeing her win this fight. I'm a big believer in Rose Namajunas. I, I think she is the best strawweight in the world. And, uh, you know, I mean, listen, it will be – I can't imagine it going any, you know, that quickly again. So, of course, I think it will probably end up being a better fight. But I don't think the result's really going to change that much. I just haven't – again, I have no proof, none, that, that Zhang Weili has fixed what was wrong the last time that showed the setups that allowed Rose to head kick her the first round. Um I'm not convinced that anything goes, anything changes in this one except it goes a little longer. AK, is this one grown on you at all? I know we were big champions of Carlos Sparza and on to the next one getting the shot. She didn't. We get this rematch. I don't think it's very surprising that we get this rematch based on Dana White saying what he was saying in the buildup to this fight being announced. But has it grown on you at all? Like, are you excited for it? Uh, this is bullcrap. Uh, Carlos Barza should be fighting for the UFC strawweight title again. She should be getting her rematch with Rose Namajunas. It's fine. Would you know? It's look. It's not happening. We can't dwell on it. Um, hopefully, when it's all said and done, uh, she does get the winner of this fight. And we're just again, m- much like with uh, Glover getting skipped over for you know Israel Adesanya, we're just kind of looking at it as a as a, a footnote. I shouldn't say a footnote. That probably was probably a little bigger than a footnote. But we're looking at it as uh, you know another part of this of this story and not not some tragedy that uh, deserving challenger did not get um did not get their title shot so it's hard i'll be honest it's really difficult for me to get super excited for this which is crazy because i think we all agree this is the number one and number two straw weights in the world now yes we did just see them fight but like i don't know if we're jaded as fight fans where it's like where we you know you get to see the i think clearly the two best straw weights in the world fight again 
Um, and it's hard to get excited about it. It might not be our fault. Of course, it's the, the surplus of events. Again, the fact that it is immediate. I almost keep forgetting that this fight was happening on this card. Like I kept thinking, like, isn't, isn't it like 269 or 270? Isn't it somewhere down the road? So that kind of shows you. Maybe it's because they put two rematches on the same card. It kind of got garbled in my mind. Um, but I'll, I'll certainly make a case for it because, like I said, this is the two best. This is why we watch fighting. You want to see the best fight the best. Yeah, we saw the best already beat the second best in with a head kick in uh, in about less than 90 seconds. So that sucked. Uh, and uh, theoretically, you'd want the uh, the loser of that fight to work their way back to a tele shot and be much more excited. But as it is, if you're if, if you're a fan of Rose Namjunas, if you're a fan of uh, Zhang Weili, if you felt like you didn't get your money's worth in that first fight, which I think a lot of people didn't, unless you're a fan of Rose, where you definitely got your money's worth and probably loved everything about that fight then you probably don't have too much of an issue with them fighting again. It's going to happen someday. Why not now, other than the fact that there are other people who deserve the title shot instead? Uh, so as far as just... Jeez, <laughs> uh, Louise, it's, it's very jarring. So as far as just seeing the fight, the best fight, the best, it's great. I, I'm with, I do think it'll go different. And, and I won't count out, but I won't count out a Zhang Wei Li win because we saw so little of, of them competing against each other. And again, that's to Namajunas' credit. It's her skill that put that fight away. It's not like some random shot she landed, but anybody anybody can get caught by a good strike or get caught by a perfect strike. That, that's what happened for Rose. She threw that perfect strike. She is the best in the world. She proved it with that. But every fight is different. Before that fight, Zhang Weili was friggin' untouchable. So I think her losing one fight in such a bad fashion does not change that. Um, so I do think there is reason, despite everything I just said, there, there is reason to be hyped about it because I think it'll be a much more exciting fight uh, than the first one. And Zhang Weili just, absolutely, absolutely can win. I just want to throw this out that you said she's untouchable. So the Joanna fight didn't happen? She didn't get touched up in that fight? That didn't happen? She got touched, she got touched a few times. She got touched. Okay, well, like you said untouchable. She got touched up. I mean, I mean, she got touched a handful yeah. of times. She still won. She still won. Arguably, she won. She but did get touched. She get touched up. She wasn't untouchable. She got was, she got touched up. Yeah, there was a, a couple of good significant strikes in there that landed. I think. I think if you. I'm just saying. After, you said untouchable. Got, yeah. She got touched up quite she, a bit. She untouchable. Got touched untouchable bit might have been a bit strong. Untouchable might have been yeah. a bit strong. But uh, I, I mean, I'm, I'm just saying. She looked. She looked like. She certainly looked like she couldn't lose. Let me put it that way. All right, gentlemen. This the, the you that little back and forth. Perfect segue to discuss Justin Gaethje versus Michael Chandler, which now kicks off the main card. And this fight is just awesome without stakes. It seems like the big stake here, especially for Justin Gaethje, is if he wins, he gets a title shot, and that is so well-deserved, and that's probably what should happen. But, Damon, let me ask you this. If that is the case, if Justin Gaethje goes out there and beats Michael Chandler on Saturday, like the odds makers think he will, like a lot of people I've spoken to think he will, I think both of you kind of feel that way. You talked about it already. What happens with Michael Chandler? Because when the UFC signed this guy, they put the promotional push to this man. Game, he was the backup fighter for, for the Habib-Justin Gaethje fight. Then he fights Dan Hooker, gets the big win, gets thrust into a title shot right after that, loses in one of the best fights of the year, one of the most underrated and under the radar, less should be talked about way more for fights of the year and, and things like that. But what does that mean for Michael Chandler if he goes out and loses to Justin Gaethje? It means he just lost to two of the best three lightweights in the world. It really doesn't. I don't think unless he goes out there and gets sparked in like 45 seconds, which when you're fighting Justin Gaethje is surely a possibility, but I don't think it really hurts. I mean, look what just, I mean, we're talking about this after Justin Gaethje went through this. I mean, Justin Gaethje lost to Eddie Alvarez and Dustin Poirier. Guess what? He then went on an incredible run and got a title shot against Khabib Nurmagomedov. 
And now here he is again, you know, back in the in the title hunt and a win over Michael Chandler should get him a title shot. Chandler's in the same boat here. If he loses to Gaethje, there's no shame in that. And, he, you know, let's not forget, he almost beat Charles Oliveira. He had him badly, badly hurt in that first round. And then he made a mistake in the second and Oliveira caught him and finished him. And again, kudos to Charles Oliveira for doing his job. But. I don't think this, I mean, again, unless he goes out there and just gets completely obliterated in 30 seconds and just has no account for himself whatsoever in this fight, which I have a hard time believing that's just not who Michael Chandler is. When Michael Chandler has typically lost outside of, let's say, the Will Brooks rematch, uh, he's always gone in there and at least put on a show. Even in, even in defeat, he's put on a show. Uh, I have a hard time believing it's going to be that kind of fight. So if he does lose to Justin Gaethje, okay, well, yeah, it's not that it's definitely not great. I mean, he's going to be one and two in the promotion, but again, Gaethje, I believe started one and two in the UFC or one and two and two. I can't remember the exact record when he lost to Dustin, but you can bounce back from that. Who's going to say if Michael Chandler goes out there and loses in a fight of the night to Justin Gaethje, Who's going to say we don't want to see him fight, uh, you know, see him fight another top-ranked lightweight down the road? Who, who wouldn't watch him fight uh, some of the other guys who are clamoring for that big spot, for that big opportunity, uh, like a guy like Islam Makachev or a guy like Benil Dariush or, or whoever it is? So will it hurt him? Sure. He'll be knocked that much further back from title contention, but he can bounce back from it. Justin Gaethje is the prime example of that. He bounced back from two bad losses and uh, and, and came back and, and and got the got the title shot and and maybe staring down a second one. So it would be bad because you don't want to go one and two in the promotion, but it's not you know devastating because he lost to the current champion and who would probably be the new number one contender. And there's still a million fights out there for him at lightweight that everyone, including you, me, and AK, and everybody else, listen to the show would come back and say, oh, man, I can't wait to see Chandler in that fight because that's the kind of guy Michael Chandler is. You agree with that, AK? That a loss stings, but it doesn't doesn't really put him too far out of the conversation. I don't, I don't think it's going to put him too far out either, but who knows? Promotion put a lot into this guy and one and two star. What do you think? The UFC likes Michael Chandler. Maybe as much as they've ever liked anyone that they brought over from another promotion. Uh, maybe not quite uh, Ronda Rousey level as far as how invested they are in him. But man, we've never seen uh, we've never seen a guy get that kind of pre-fight video package. You know, uh, instant championship reserve, then instant in, uh, vacant title shot. It's 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 incredibly difficult to win over Dana White in the UFC in the way that Michael Chandler did before even stepping foot into the octagon once. So yeah, he'll be in good standing. The only the real issue is, as I said before, and uh, Damon, you mentioned it. If he loses, I think he's fighting Islam Makachev next, and I think Islam Makachev beats him, and I think Islam Makachev might beat him badly. So now uh, let's let's say this is a war on Saturday. It's a good fight. So now he, he'll come. He'll be coming off a loss to the champion, uh, or sorry, the current champion, Charles Oliveira, which was a good fight, and then possibly another loss to Gaethje in a good fight, and then a loss to Makachev, which I, if he, I think if he loses, I think it'll be in a bad way. So then that's three straight losses. Now, again, that doesn't take you out, especially if you're liked by the UFC. But boy, in the eyes of the fans, and especially in the division like lightweight that is not waiting for anybody, if you lose three straight fights, even if it's to three of the top eight 155ers in the world – that's a long mountain to climb back up. I mean, you could you, you could still be in there. You could still be in the top 10 getting big fights. But getting back to a title shot, it is not entirely impossible that Michael Chandler's fight with uh, Charles Oliveira is the only time that he ever fights for the UFC title. I, I, it would surprise me, 
But in this scenario that I'm kind of playing out here, if he loses to Makachev, uh, if he ends up having, sorry, he's losing to Gaethje and has to fight Makachev and lose to him as well, it is going to hurt Michael Chandler. Not, not to the point where he's like released or anything or doesn't keep getting big fights, but to the point where he may not be viewed by the fans and at some point by the organization as uh, UFC championship material. All right, last thing. One minute or less, AK. What's the low-key banger on this card? What's the under-the-radar <laughs> fight that could steal the show? I absolutely love – it might seem obvious. I'll add Quinta, Bobby Green. Uh, these two, I believe, were matched up to fight before. I've been calling for the – on our matchmaking show, Mike, I want to see these two fight so badly. A lot of the listeners have as well, a lot of listeners, readers, fans. Stylistically, it's great. Two veterans, two good strikers, two guys, at least Bobby Green, who's going to definitely be talking a lot in the middle of the fight and probably get the best out of Ally Quinta. It's great to see Rage and Al back in action. I know a lot of people just keep asking, where has he been? So uh, that's going to be on the preliminary card. And uh, I think a huge New York crowd going to be behind Rage and Al that's going to have just an electrifying atmosphere easily could have been on the main card. So that's, if, if that qualifies as a sleeper, man, that is definitely the sleeper of the night. Damon, what's yours? Uh, you know, off two losses, I still have a lot of hope in this guy, but Edmund Shabazian against Nazardine Imovov is a great fight. Imovov coming off a knockout over Ian Heinish. Uh, again, they're doing, they're, they're not, <laughs> they're not giving Edmund a walkover fight to get him back in the win column after losing, uh, to Brunson and, and Jack Hermanson. But, uh, but I, I still am a big believer in Edmund is what, 24 years old, 25, super young kid. I, I refuse to give up on him after two losses. Uh, and Imovov's a beast. I mean, Imovov looked great in his last fight. So I think that is a low key banger and a potential kind of show stealer leading into, you know, what I think we all assume is going to steal the show with Justin Gaethje and Michael Chandler. But I really like that fight. Two good strikers. I think this is a much more favorable matchup for Edmund than his last two fights. Uh, and I really like this one. I think that's got fireworks written all over it. You're both wrong. It's John Vellante versus Chris Barnett. And now hold on. The, the no, added, hold on. Hold the on. Added wrinkle, Mike. With the added he's wrinkle. Fighting, he's fighting Todd Duffy. All right. Stop lying <laughs> about this opponent he's got. He's fighting Todd Duffy. I still if, you didn't see, if you didn't this isn't see a real it yesterday, fight. if you didn't see it yesterday, somebody changed UFC two sixty eight on Wikipedia yesterday and it said <laughs> UFC two sixty eight Volante <laughs> versus Duffy yeah. was the name of the yeah. event for like an hour. <laughs> So it's Todd Duffy. Stop yeah. lying about who he's fighting. That was you. Oh. That person was you who did that. <laughs> Don't say somebody did it. Well, whoever it was, it is John. No matter who he's fighting, it, it appears it will be John Volante's final fight. So there you go. He told Newsday that uh, this is it. So he'll make the walk one last time in his home crowd and should be a fun one with, uh, with Chris Barnett, who is typically in fun fights. So there we go. We move on. But do we move on? The point for round four goes to... There's light back in the studio, and Damon Martin has tied the score. You know what that means. <laughs> it means it is time for the knockout round. The tension, you can cut it with a knife right now. One question will decide it all. Each of these... Wonderful participants will have one minute to answer the question. They will have the same question. No tomfoolery, no craziness, just one question, one minute to answer. Once that is done, with the help of our live studio audience right now, E. Casey Lydon, the judge, the jury, the executive producer, makes his long-awaited return to the judge's seat. 
and he will announce officially the winner of the first BTL tournament matchup that will move on to the semifinals and one step closer to the most coveted title in MMA media. Now, before the show began, I put both names in a random name generator that was free of cost. Hashtag saving the company money. And Damon Martin was the name chosen. So, Damon, you have the option. Do you want to go first, set the table, maybe lower the boom, so to speak, on the birthday boy? Or do you want to give AK what he so desperately wants to go first? I will uh, I will I will go first uh, what? and I'll let the birthday boy go second. What? Wow. What? That is smart. Damon oh. has been watching the show. He knows that man, AK thrives on going first, but time out. listen. Time out. Time out. How many timeouts do we get, Mike? How many timeouts do we get in the tournament? None. No timeouts. No timeouts in fighting, no timeouts in BTL. I always go first. Well, not this time, AK. Now Damon goes first. And you may have noticed, and probably some people have commented, we talked about Glover's win. We talked about Piotr Jan's win. We talked about Islam Makachev's win. But the MVP of the night, we have not talked about. We have talked about. We have not talked about Hamzat Shemaev. We will talk about Hamzat Shemaev right now, who, as of yesterday when it was released, is the new number 10 ranked welterweight in MMA fighting's global rankings. The only rankings that matter in the sport in the world. So the question is, Damon, it's very simple. After this win over Li Jingliang, you are the matchmaker right now. What is the best fight to make for Hamzat Shemaev? Hamzat Shemaev versus blank. One minute on the clock. Where do we go with Boars? Your time starts now. There's a lot of options for Hamzat Shemaev right now. Uh, you know, I think much like I said earlier with Islam, he needs that marquee win. I think the potential is there. I think he's great. I think the matchup to make for Hamzat Shemaev right now is a guy who's kind of stuck in limbo in his own right right now, and that is Gilbert Burns. Gilbert is one of the best lightweights, in the, excuse me, best welterweights in the world. We all know that. But he just lost to Kamar Usman. He had a uh, a less than a super exciting fight with Wonderboy. No shame in having a less than exciting fight against a guy like Wonderboy. is super tough. But Gilbert's kind of stuck in no man's land right now unless Colby Covington can beat Kamar Usman. Uh, he's not going to get the rematch with Kamar right away. And listen, there's no better way to get shine or to get back to a title shot right now than to go through the most talked about, the most hyped prospect in our sport than going through Kamzat Chimaev. So I think Chimaev versus Gilbert Burns as a co-main event or a main event on a big fight card would be great. I think that is the fight to make. And then at that point, we can crown or not crown Chimaev as the next big thing at welterweight. Wow, hitting the post and everything. Nicely done, Damon. His radio background shining through. AK, you're in unfamiliar territory going seconds, but you did ha- get to hear Damon's answer. Hamza Chemaev versus blank. We've seen Dana White pushing for the Nate Diaz fight. We're seeing all these different ideas thrown around. We've seen millions of them on, on to the next one, but we've had some time. We've heard some other things. We've heard from some other fighters since his win over Li Liang. Hamza Chemaev versus blank. One minute on the clock. Go. Hamza Chemaev versus Kamaru Usman. <gasps> it's time. It's time. And, I, and here's why. I'm, I've talked about this already. So I'll, I'm sorry for anyone who's heard me go on this rant before. Hamza obviously wants this. He said he wants to fight all the contenders, but if they came to him with the champion, he'd, he'd be like, I will eat champion in a second. Okay, so there's no pushback there. Kamaru, should he get past Colby Covington again? Which again, not guaranteed, but should he do so? Hamza, to me, presents the most dangerous opponent to take to potentially take his title in the future. I don't know when, might be next year, 
and maybe two years from now. It could be Kamara retires and never fight him. That's an option for Kamara. People are saying the reason he's been talking about doing stuff outside of MMA, one reason is he doesn't want to fight Shamayev. But if he does want to have that name on his resume, now is the time. So though Kamara has kind of downplayed any uh, Shamayev talk this week, should he get past Cummington, Kamaru should do the right thing, call him out, make this fight happen, get him before he reaches full strength. Kamaru Usman. Wow. Just throw him into a title fight. That is a very interesting point. Did today, it. That's a very interesting point. If you're going to take, take on the man, you should probably take him on now before he gets even better and gets a little more dangerous. So we're going to let the, the votes come in from the live studio audience, give the judge something to think about. In the meantime, in around 42 minutes or so, head to mbafighting.com for the press conference. Go right on the website, watch the video embedded in the website, and check out the tomfoolery that we will certainly be seeing between Kamar Usman and Colby Covington. We will be live tomorrow morning for the weigh-in show, AK's. It is AK's birthday after all, so a special birthday edition of the weigh-in show tomorrow morning from New York, and then we'll have a preview show We'll have the pre-fight Q&A. We'll have the post-fight show. On to the next one on Sunday so much. And if you haven't done so, I highly recommend, because I listened to it this morning, go into the podcast network and listen to the new edition of the MMA Fighting Global Ranking Show. A lot of fun. Damon and Jed and AK had a little battle, and Sean was trying to referee, and it's all sorts of fun. So go check that out. So I think I've stalled enough. We now turn it over to the judge, the jury, the executive producer, E. Casey Lydon, to make this all-important decision Casey, it's been a while, man. You might be a little rusty, but you've heard the arguments. You've heard from the peeps. Who's moving on in the most famous tournament in MMA media history? First of all, it's good to be back, gentlemen. Great competition. Great. Just two two fine competitors. You both went with two answers I didn't really expect. I'm kind of, I'm kind of, I'm kind of surprised with both answers. But I have made a decision. Your winner is I like to go big or go home. Your birthday boy, A.K. Lee. Alexander K. Lee. I want it. I want it between the legs. I'm gonna do. I'm gonna do my best Colby Covington impression. This election was rigged. This was rigged. <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> I know my election birthday. was rigged. I want a recount. Oh Where's god. the recount? AK's birthday. Oh. He got a haircut and he's wearing the this Tiger Woods Sunday red shirt to put things away to get the big win. Oh. Wow. AK. I, I, a lot of people thought you were the I thought you were the dark horse to win this thing, a, a, thing AK even though the record hasn't shown a lot you've improved vastly throughout these shows you've performed well in big situations and here we are with the victory 30 seconds oh gosh uh, well look you already you already promoted the rankings people please check out the rankings that went out this week global rankings pound for pound rankings love all the feedback you guys have been giving that's not true i've hated some of it but i've loved most of it so please go listen to that guys on the mma fighting uh, podcast network mmafighting.com and uh, uh thank you damon damon is is the kind of man he makes you step up your game his his bane like presence you know it activated the fight or flight in me thankfully flight and not flight today next time it could be a different story so thank you damon uh, a good man, a great reporter, and uh, uh, I, I, I cannot wait to fight you again someday on BTL. 
Damon, um, I just immediately got a text from the BTL Championship Committee, a, a group text who have said, listen, I've seen the names that are in this tournament. Some can be a little flaky. Some can be a little busy. So they want to offer you the first alternate spot, a la Daniel Cormier. What do you think? Much like the great DC, uh, I will gladly step back in if need be and uh, and put a pummeling down on somebody like he did Josh Barnett once upon a time. Or I guess at the time, Bigfoot Silva. But yeah, whoever it happens, I will gladly step in and play that role. Uh, DC, I'm happy to play the role of DC in this tournament. All right. Well, this is how the first matchup went. Wait and see how the rest of it goes. We got a big one next week. Jose Young's returns to the BTL virtual cage to take on who many believe someone who many believe is the greatest to ever compete in this game. Phoenix Carnivale returns to face Jose Young's. What a matchup that's going to be live next week on BTL. We're out of here. First game is in the books. Head on over to MMAfighting.com at 5 o'clock for the UFC 268 press conference and join us tomorrow morning for the live weigh-in show. Jose Youngs will be representing in New York City ahead of this big event on Saturday. For Damon, for AK, for Casey Lydon on the ones and twos, I am Mike Keck. Thank you for watching Between the Links. See you next week. Good night, everybody. This has been Between the Links, an MMA fighting production on the Vox Media Network. Happy birthday, AK. My heart is full. My heart is full. (laughs) You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. What does it take to be an entrepreneur and how is it changing in our ever-evolving business landscape? This is Scott Galloway, host of the Prop G Podcast and an entrepreneur myself. Right now, we've got a special three-part series running all about the future of entrepreneurship. We're answering your questions on work-life balance, how to raise capital for your business, and more. Because when you're an entrepreneur, it's always important to look ahead at what's to come. So tune in to the Future of Entrepreneurship, a Prop G Pod special sponsored by Mercury. You can find it on the Prop G Pod feed or wherever you get your podcasts. The Current Podcast is back with an exciting new season featuring marketing executives from the world's most influential brands. Tune in to hear what's driving conversation in the fast-moving world of digital advertising with unique insights from brands as diverse as Hilton, Instacart, Moderna, Major League Soccer, and more. And in this presidential election season, The Current explores what a national political advertiser like the National Republican Senatorial Committee and a major CPG brand like Hershey can learn from each other. Listen in and subscribe to The Current at thecurrent.com or wherever you get your podcasts.